Hi there, it's Ash Goodwin here, the founder director of Ardor Talents and host of the Product Series podcast. And welcome to episode three of this series. Um, I'm delighted to have on board today the VP of Products from GFK, Daniel Shirley, and we talk all things data. Enjoy. It's like to welcome Daniel Shirley to the Product Podcast. Hi, Daniel. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks. Yeah, all good. Perfect. Uh, Daniel, yeah, just, just talk me through your background, um, your career, kind of where you're up to now, um, just so that listeners can learn more about yourself. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So my name is Daniel Shirley. Um, I'm a founder of a company called Uplio that provides digital consultancy to companies kind of big and small. Um, my background was in um, helping to launch the first uh, smartphone, so the first iPhone, um, Google phone, Android phone. Um, but more recently, it moved me into kind of uh, building apps and websites um, and into data, machine learning, and, and AI, which is where I spend kind of most of my time now. Um, some of the projects I've worked on include helping to build data lakes and machine learning products for the likes of O2, Sainsbury's, um, Nectar, and also a lot of smaller firms that are looking to disrupt their industries. Um, at O2, for example, I helped them launch a big data machine learning product that used driver data gathered through the mobile network and their app. Um, to help dictate the driver premiums instead of kind of the dumb old um, measures like postcode and age that uh, people use. Um, so that was where I first kind of got exposed to um, machine learning. I wrote a kind of crude first algorithm on the project due to being in a bit of a, a tight spot. Um, and uh, yeah, got some proper data science in there and, and then watched kind of machine learning do, do its thing and started to hugely um, improve the results we had. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it left an impact. So um, yeah, I, I'm passionate about data and um, AI and machine learning. The whole shebang. Perfect. On driver data, is that as in data for cars? Or have I completely, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah no, 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 <laughs> no over complex term, no, literally, yeah, driving, yeah. Cool, okay, so is, is that like the black boxes that you put in cars, or like how, how do you actually, like kind of what exactly was that? I, I understand yeah. kind of postcodes. So yes, yeah, so with, black, with the black boxes, there's like these telematics devices they, they put in cars, so we, we, did, we did have those, but actually more predominantly we're looking at the kind of network data, so before you bought the policy, we could tell um, you know when you travelled, uh, what kind of routes you took, how fast you were going, so we could get a good idea of kind of your type of travel and the kind of time of days you travel, which have a big indicator on risk. Um, and once you had a policy, we had an app, so not a black box, although we did have those policies as well that the same algorithms applied to. But through the app, we could basically tell um, how you how you were driving and um, how responsible you were as a as a driver, and therefore what your premium should be, how much we should reward you uh, for your good driving. Yeah, so basically don't speed. <laughs> uh, you know what, like being honest, um, speed is not the worst thing in the world because if you have a completely open road um, and there's no one around and you're speeding, it's not that bad. The, the worst indicator um, for driving was basically late braking because if you're braking suddenly, you've not anticipated the threat. Um, if you accelerate fast or drive fast, it might be might be perfectly safe. I'm not advising it. 
but it doesn't mean you're driving recklessly but if you're late braking then you've left something to last minute and uh, you're yeah you're in danger for an impact so yeah that's the that was the the biggest indicator of risk was was late braking so if you're late braking a lot you're probably a bad driver so <laughs> <laughs> well I, I used to have a black box and i think that i my premium went down the next year so i'm hoping that means i was doing something right and wasn't breaking late but they did tell me that i was speeding a little bit so that's kind of why i asked you about this speeding. you probably just didn't make a claim <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i did make a claim um great so, so when we've met before daniel obviously we've talked in in depth about data um i guess for for my network i do a lot of kind of recruitment in the, in the data space uh work with a lot of data companies so whilst i'm no way near an expert like you are i do understand it which which helps for this conversation um and we, and we kind of briefly discuss kind of what good looks like from a data respect so from your perspective, Daniel, I mean, what 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 is good in data? Yeah, I mean, there's I think there's lots of ways to interpret the the question, really. Um, but given my background in product and strategy, I'll answer it from that perspective. Um, in terms of what companies should be aiming for, so you know, there's obviously a lot of things around security and resiliency which are, are critical. But from a kind of um, strategic point of view and from a product point of view, um, I'm always looking for services to be kind of near real time. Um, they have to be secure and resilient and scalable. Um, but really what you're looking to do is to allow data to be accessed across businesses um, and ensuring consistent data can be shared across the business. Um, and that can have benefits in terms of your reporting, your operational efficiency, um, and connecting data allows for better data analysis, um, but better recommendations, better improvements to your service um, within your company. Um, I guess usually in my line of work, this involves moving old monolithic systems, um, often on-prem, to cloud-based systems which have APIs to allow data sources to either be linked, so you can kind of um, you know, get access to data in multiple systems, or pulled in some form of data lake, um, and also moving, you know, I guess older store, uh, older um, services into microservices um, to allow for kind of continuous improvement um, of the whole systems. Um, and if if you have your data structured in the right way, then that really is a good precursor for introducing kind of um, data science and, and machine learning. Perfect. Okay. And when you obviously, if you could elaborate further on the data structure, I assume every company will have a different data structure depending on the industry, company needs of the data, how they use the data, etc. Yeah, I mean, they, the structure of the data is almost like a bit like a, it's even more than a, a fingerprint. It's like a kind of genealogy of a company. You know, the, these things evolve over time where they've grown in scale and changed. So, I mean, every company's data looks different. Um, I mean, even when they use the same underlying tools, um, the implementation is often, often different. But generally, what people are trying to do with data is very similar. Yeah, because I mean, I, I, from from a sales perspective, I've I've worked with data quite extensively. Um, we we generally work backwards with KPIs and find out kind of where you're losing money, where you're kind of making money, and what you can do differently. Whether you can deliver quickly, quicker on roles, or, or whatever it is. Um, I guess from I guess from a company perspective. I think what I'm trying to say is obviously when, when we're saying what does good look like with data from a company perspective, is it is it hard to get everyone involved in data to actually understand data? How do you actually do that process as well? Because when I when I've worked with it historically, whilst data is brilliant, it, it can also hinder things. 
um, from, from my personal experiences, that we've overused it. So is there an element of kind of like um, when you said sort of looking at the data and actually executing, I guess executing solutions off the right amount of data, is there any way to kind of quantify that or is it just simply just done more on what well, the business leaders at the top need to be looking at and making those decisions or is there anything you can do from, I guess, from a tech perspective which could help with that? If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that it touches on a few things really. So one, one thing that is um, really important is the, the quality of the data that you're capturing and there has to be a lot of um, effort into making sure the insight you're capturing, the data you're capturing is is actually accurate. But then the, the second part you're alluding to really is the interpretation of the data. Um, and look, data is a hugely powerful thing, um, as you know, I'm sure we'll discuss in terms of you know AI and machine learning. But if not interpreted in the right way, um, it can be at worst destructive. I mean, um, you know. It's like with um, scientific experiments, it's easy to um, kind of reinforce things that um, you believe if you have data and you can manipulate data to kind of fit your view of the world. So you have to understand how to interpret data and what it really means. And that generally is the what is the role of, um, you know, product or some kind of domain expertise where um, you look at the facts and you kind of apply them to the real world understanding um, Com compare it to other uses and other data sources and see how it correlates but yeah I mean you know data is just like anything it's it give, there's a lot of power in there but if you don't know how to use it then it's not necessarily going to be very useful so and um, you have to have an understanding of what the data is and what it means and, and that will vary completely depending on every use case you ever you ever look at it but the things that never um, change are the importance for data quality um, and the ability to interpret and interrogate the data in the right way i think that's an absolutely incredible point there daniel you're, you're completely correct i think that my my experience with it it was brilliant and we used when we used it in the right way literally it was incredible but we also kind of lost a bit of identity of, of the business and what made the business special so that's kind of the point as to kind of what, what i was referring to there so you, you've hit every kind of every thought that i had you've, you've kind of covered that so that's that's brilliant thanks for Clearing that up, um, Daniel, you, you touched on kind of machine learning, artificial intelligence. Um, does, do, do companies need to be using these, this, or can they get away with just kind of using core data? Well, I, th I think you just talked to it in a, a, a bit of way then. I mean, the short answer is no, not every company has to be using it. Absolutely not. And in actual fact, um, you can really over-rely on it and think it's going to answer all your problems which just isn't true regardless of whether you're speaking about machine learning or AI um, you know there is 100% still a place for soft skills you know sales and things like this are um, people are really really uh, necessary for those things especially when you're selling a complex product and there's not many more complex products than humans right <laughs> yeah. recruitment so there's a lot technology can do um, but equally, like I have, um, I have a, a company which is a, um, a skincare company, and there's no point in me automating it at the scale I'm at um, and with what I'm trying to do. But there are certain applications where machine learning and AI absolutely um, is kind of not necessarily vital from the start, but will become vital. But then there are industries that where it's kind of you know more important in, than others as well. It re it's more of a differentiator and a way of improving efficiency or improving conversion. Um, but if you're starting out, 
you know, or you've got a small company, then there are probably a lot better ways to spend money. It's not cheap to um, implement machine learning. And especially if you're a big old company, you have to get the data uh, in the right places that we discussed kind of first. Um, but then one, once it is there, I mean, you can then start to replace um, some of those manual places. Some you know, examples that could be, you have a big marketing team who are creating marketing campaigns. Um, you could automate a lot of that and reduce headcounts. There are savings there, or there are really complex use cases like when we do drug screen screening trials and you're screening for diseases. Um, there are things like that that you know when you're looking at so much data and really what the the job to be done is is just powering through the data and spotting correlations. Then that really is where. Um, it, it comes into its own, but um, you know, ideation, creative things, um, human interaction, customer service, you know, people still buy people. So um, we've all had bad experience with, um, with technology. So it, it's, it's not like a golden bullet, but obviously because the efficiencies it brings and the huge potential um, that, that it brings to people are interested and excited about it, including myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been a massive thing um, I, for me to, to learn because I came into recruitment after six years in the police working in a variety of companies and machine learning and AI was brand new to me. And I'm sure it's still brand new to so many people. And there's so many new companies who are startups who are trying to implement it when they may not need to, as you kind of point it touched on before. So I guess for, for real clarity for the for the listeners, Talk me through the differences between machine learning and AI. Yeah, I mean, they're very similar, but they're yeah. not the same. So it's, it's easily um, to get confused. And also the words are generally used quite interchangeably. But the concept of AI has been around since the, since the 50s. Um, and it's the idea, really, of machines carrying out tasks that we would consider smart. So generally, they're adva advanced algorithms. So math is another word. Um, but the, the ability of AI is they can do these things at, at much bigger scale. Um, Machine learning is more where you give the machine the data and it figures out, uh, things out itself by learning. Um, so that's kind of almost like a, um, you know, a smarter part of AI, if you like. Um, you also sometimes will hear the terms um, AI, applied AI and general AI. So applied AI is what we really commonly refer to as AI, which is things like driverless cars or stocks and shares trading, where you have a predictable analysis and the AI is focused on delivering one thing, um, and it's it's driven to do that. Whereas general AI is more the domain of machine learning and is much more rare even even today in the biggest companies. And these systems adapt to the inputs um, and figures things out for itself. So um, some of the biggest areas for that are things like, actually from your old role in the police force, things like image recognition. So being able to actually identify faces in crowds, things like that. Um, medical diagnosis, drug trials, um, general AI is um, you know really well applied in those places too. But it's all smart. I mean, that's that's the main thing, and yeah. I don't think the terminology necessarily um, ha has to has to matter that much because people use these words so interchangeably. But um, it matters more to people, I guess, in in the space. But really, you know, it, it's it's developing cute computer intelligence, and you can think of AI um, intelligence as being like um, task driven. So you tell someone to do a very specific task and they work in their little silo and they deliver that task over and over again for you really, really well, fantastically well, far more efficiently than 
humans good. Uh, machine learning is more of a general uh, intelligence, so a bit more of like a human intelligence where it can do many more things. So you could get it to learn a language or recognize faces. It's a much more kind of um, flexible, but therefore complex product. Great. So just to elaborate on that further, um, why is it companies are, are, are trying to do it big, big and small? Well, there's a lot of benefits. I mean, you know, it, it, I think, again, it depends on the industry. So largely, it's always going to be about money, right? So there's a lot of money that can be made by really small um, improvements in things. So um, different companies are trying to do different things. You have pure tech companies who are just interested in it for the technology and the application. So, um, you know, Google, Amazon, they invest huge amounts uh, of money in um, developing machine learning technology, you know, because their businesses are so large that if they make breakthroughs and they can you know, improve a conversion of a sale by 0.1%, it means billions of pounds of revenue. Um, and then you've got kind of, you know, other large organizations that aren't as large as that by that look at it in terms of operational efficiency so i don't know if you can make improvements in your supply chain or um you can you know reduce your numbers in uh, marketing and improve conversion there's obvious cost cost savings there um and then you know other areas where they, they use it a lot like pharmaceuticals because again drug trials are expensive they take a long time if you can start to um you know, speed that up and do it in different ways where you're not having to pay people. And it's a more efficient way, or it's perceived as a more efficient way. But like I say, it can be horrendously expensive to do these things. I mean, that's why data scientists and uh, people that can program in things like Python um, are so expensive because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really in demand. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, well, you just talked about Google and, and Amazon then, and obviously big tech companies who, who kind of do it for the, the tech and applications. Um, would they do this from like an innovation perspective? Would they kind of do it from, I guess, a, a bit of a trial? And if it works, great, we'll roll it out. And if it doesn't, we'll just kind of bank it. Is, is that kind of how big companies are, are, are operating with it? Are they kind of experimenting rather than actually... Um... So I wouldn't say they're necessarily experimenting because they know it's okay. a real thing, but they know they can make money. They, so what I would, would say is they're not always looking to do a certain kind of deliver a certain outcome with it. Um, so, you know, Google, Google has a, a general AI that is, is building out um, that does lots of different things like translations. It plays games and it optimizes and it, essentially trying to train it. And the applications for that could be everything from improving search to image recognition to yeah, translation of language to you know, a million things we, do, we don't know or understand now. But it's more of a case of it's one of those things that if you're not at the forefront of it and someone else is and you, you miss out, then you know you're not in the game anymore and you suddenly overnight become myspace so um, <laughs> it's, it's huge for them and you know they have the, the amount of money they can invest um, if you think of google's um you know, the amount of money they make through data and the likes of facebook and amazon and um, like, like i said before a, a tiny improvement in conversion or optimizing something makes them so much money that it you know more than uh, proves itself so but there is an element i think of just tech companies being at the forefront of technology and, and wanting to do these things. But I mean, that, yeah, 
that's an exciting place to be. That's it's what I'm interested in for the same reason you uh, you want to be in, in, you know, involved in the new technologies and you can see the different potentials it can have. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. The, the reason why I, I highlighted that point, and especially Amazon, is because I know that generally they will throw a lot of money or a lot of resources at emerging tech or yeah. to be a slightly ahead of the game to make sure that they are, they can, like you said, you can make the extra 0.1% or they can... I guess like Alexa, the the Alexa is arguably one of the better voice products out there. Um, everyone knows it probably better than than all the other products on that, which are on the market, and they'll put themselves at the forefront for voice technology. Maybe in the next decade, who who knows where that's going to go? So that's just the reason. I generally I know that they try and innovate as much as what they can. That's the reason why they are well, the yeah, biggest so company on the planet. So they certainly do big. They'll do like kind of big bets, you know, where they they'll they'll spin up projects based upon their kind of core platforms that are developing these things to try different things. And there'll be um, the kind of projects that will either succeed or, or fail fast and they'll start again. But um, I think the two things are kind of separate. There's the general movement into machine learning and uh, building kind of smarter, intelligent platforms, which I think is they're going to do anyway. And then there's the projects that use those things, which I think are more kind of what you were referring to there in terms of let's try something, see, see if it works. and see if it doesn't kind of thing yeah completely the other reason why i highlight that is because i recruited for a company where they've um, asked me for a data scientist um and it was simply more of an innovation trial piece to see whether it could work across the business rather than maybe having like a full vision and strategy to align it to if if that makes sense so um i guess that leads to does every company need to be doing uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence from i i'm like i said i'm not an expert in this area but from from what it's kind of used for, it's great for certain companies, but like that company I'm referring to there, they're a brilliant company. I'm still working with them now and, and they are incredible at what they do. And, and they're the leaders in their area because they're maybe more people centric rather than tech centric. And that's kind of what makes them special, but they wanting to innovate and, and branch out, which is, which is brilliant. Um, but I'm not sure they're necessarily, and, and then they're aware of this, whether they actually need to be, to be doing it. Um, so what, what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, I think you always need a strategy, right? Um, or there, you have a very expensive resource set around, um, probably a bit under motivated and, and not doing it. So you need um, somebody to be able to come in and, and talk to you about that digital strategy. Um, it depends on the scale of the company and the type of company, but you know, it's likely there will be applications for it. Um, but I, th I think it's important that companies um, kind of have that mindset of innovating. But like like you alluded to earlier you know you don't want to kind of forget your core fundamental reasons that made you successful as a business in the first place and just hand it over to machine learning and, and job done because that's not the case but if you're looking to stay ahead of the competition to disrupt your industry to innovate um and yeah to to mitigate competitive threat then yeah you, it's the right kind of thing to do to be looking at different ways you can innovate and it can come in all different types of of ways but really that is where i think um you know a product person or a strategy person such as myself comes in to help say that these are the potential applications in your business but it will vary depending on the business and the maturity of it the line of work they do um what kind of um yeah what kind of processes they follow currently um because definitely there are some organizations who are more um kind of uh yeah able to to introduce these things and it makes more sense than others yeah, so just on, on that, if, if, so, if a company doesn't have a product team in place, they've just got a small tech team, 
yeah um, but they're looking at it how would you approach that or how should the company approach that should I say to, re- to rephrase the question or, yeah. should they, or should they not well I mean I, I, it's the right thing to do and and people in technology are always going to want to use the, the newest technology and you will get some people working in technology departments have a really good understanding and idea of it but you know same for a product point of view you know writing apps and designing websites is very different from data science and creating machine learning platforms so regardless of who it is you need someone who has a more holistic uh, view of the company and understands really what you're trying to do with the data so the kind of things i've introduced machine learning for are things like um like i said um driver premiums so where you're understanding driver behavior and um, using that data to drive down premiums or improving marketing campaigns so you um Look at how different people respond to marketing campaigns, um, so you optimize them so they convert, and you can kind of give be- better recommendations and better specific um, uh, offers in in the campaigns to make it um, the most compelling to the customer possible. Um, things like recommendations on products. So when you're browsing a, a shop, and we want to, you know, like on Amazon, you, you've bought this, so other people have bought these kind of things. There's a load of different um, technologies like that, which really makes sense to do machine learning, you know, as well as image recognition, load of other stuff I, I mentioned. So it's really, the, the job really have to do is to look at the um, look at the company, understand the processes, and work out where you can apply it, and if you should apply it. And that depends on the scale and the maturity and what they're doing. But if you're ever dealing with a really high volume of data, chances are there are some good applications there. Or you have a manual um, process which is easy, you know, easily replicated that you do over and over again. So maybe the creation of a marketing campaign, or it might be, um, I don't know, some of your sales pipeline, stuff like that, qualifying of leads, where you have things that are kind of done by different teams of humans and handed through a chain and there's some kind of logic that can be applied, those kind of things can almost always be automated or I don't know, data cleansing, so quality is looking for, um, you know, maybe you, got, you have a load of data that comes to you, into your business, it needs cleaning, well, that whole cleaning process can likely to be automated, but, you know, there are millions of applications for it, so it really does depend on having that kind of good understanding of how companies work and how you can optimise these things. And I guess the other thing is get you involved in the company so that you can handle handle it for them because you'd, you'd definitely be the right man for that. Yeah. Um, great. So you, you mentioned a few bits here. I guess one bit that we didn't speak about when, when we met, but one, one thing which is leading into kind of the machine learning trends pieces. I read a article on Unilever, I think it was about six months ago. Um, this is more of a recruitment thing rather than kind of outside of recruitment but from a recruitment perspective I think Unilever automated 60 or 70 percent of their recruitment processes where basically they, they didn't have a human to sift through any of it it was simply all just done on a, a product which they created um sent it out to to all that to all the candidates they went through all the processes did like a video interview um this the, I think the cv sift was done via um obviously a tech product which they created and it was hugely, hugely successful. Ad- admittedly, it was for the manufacturing um, sort of more labor lo- roles rather than the higher level um, sort of tech roles, should, should we say. Um, but I, I, it looks like it's been massively successful there. And I do think that 
ML, machine learning and artificial intelligence, it, it will not remove recruitment, the human element of recruitment in the long term, but I definitely think it's got its place for especially the high volume roles um, to, to, to lesser the feed. So, I mean, that, that to me is a trend in recruitment. It's massive. It's, it's going to disrupt the industry over the next decade. Um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, unfortunately, some companies might lose some business or go out of business because if they do high volume stuff, then, then this can, can happen. But it's the way the world is moving and we've got to yeah, move with it. So that's kind of one thing which I picked. Up. I mean, talk me through kind of the latest machine learning trends or, or, or anything which you think is noteworthy for, um, for, the, for the listeners. Yeah, I mean, I'll go back to that that point first, if that's all right. Because um, I did a similar project, actually, for a, a small executive search firm um, that was doing just that. It was trying to um, essentially automate the sifting process. And um, there's some there are some dangers to watch out for there. But um, essentially, if you look at, like, psychometric tests and you build them into your um, screening process, you know, along with all the other kind of elements you mentioned, you can start to account for the, even the more exec roles where you're looking for certain competencies and cultural fit and experience. So there's definitely a lot you can do in the recruitment industry. It's definitely a kind of threat, but again, it's largely a, a people-based business, especially like you say, at, at the higher ends. But um, th there is some, I I'd say some questions about ethics in um, in terms of AI that that, that, that touches on. Um, so. One of the downsides of um, artificial intelligence and machine learning is that a bit how you mentioned earlier with the company you were working in in terms of um, how they how they handled data and how they interpreted it. Like just because it's a machine doesn't necessarily it will automatically come to the best answer. So I can give you a, a good example of that. So if you imagine um, how a machine, so let's say machine learning, so it's working out itself, and you say. Um, okay, I want you to find me good data scientists. Um, there's lots of ways you can work out what a good data scientist would, would look like. So one approach could be you get samples of people's code, you review it, the best code wins. That, that's a nice world. Um, equally, though, machine learning could look on LinkedIn. It could look at all the names of people that do machine learning. It could see that actually most people that do machine learning are middle-aged men called John from London and then it could say hey I found you some good machine learning people because these are called John and they're from London and, and, and they're middle-aged and because there isn't a kind of human voice and that intelligence saying actually no there's more dimensions at play here there's more things that make a good person and we don't actually know that these Johns are good people we just know they're doing the job and in, in that place um, it, it brings up the, the question of ethics and how we understand it. So one of the really, um, I think, one of the big trends that will start to take off is at the moment we have this concept of kind of black box AI, uh, which is where a load of stuff happens, but you don't really know what's happening within the box. So it's kind of impossible for us to tell. The machine takes a um, kind of control of itself and it just gives you output which is kind of scary when you think of terms like that, especially in the days where people um, are trying to get more diversity into business, et cetera. Um, it's not a very, very nice um, execution of it. So one of the big trends that I hope comes out in the next couple of years is kind of, it's called white box AI, which is really where machines can show you their logic steps so that then we can intervene, uh, correct, and kind of improve these machines. And that really is the way that, um, it has to go because there there is a lot that could 
go wrong with machine learning and AI if um, these things aren't, aren't true, you know, generalizations, misunderstanding data in the wrong hands, like I say, it can be a dangerous thing. And so much of the world kind of runs off data these days from politi political campaigns um, through to yeah, hiring. Um, so yeah. a big a big trend there will be yeah, around around hopefully white box AI. And I, I'm very passionate about the ethics that we have in AI and machine learning, how we implement them, so how we use data and how we um, and what we use it for is, is really important. You know, we've seen things like um, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, but you know, that, that's not a company in isolation. There's lots of companies doing similar things and we are all giving up increasing amounts of personal data that we just don't think about. So uh, yeah, ethics is a big one. And, and deep learning as well is uh, an emerging subset of machine learning. And um, deep learning is, oh, this is an even hard one to explain. <laughs> If, if, if you think of machine learning as like a general intelligence, imagine loads of different kind of machine learning networks, if you like. Act, so like a brain has a neural network. Um, what deep learning does is it kind of mimics the brain. So it will have different machine um, learning elements that are trying to do slightly different things alongside the same tasks that enriches it. So things like image recognition is often done like this, where one bit of logic will be looking for, I don't know, the, the color red and the other one will be looking for a certain type of line structure in the image and they all work together to create much uh, much better results so um deep, deep learning is definitely um something that will start start to grow but I, I think ai is just becoming more mainstream and like i say we'll all become more um mature in the way we do things um so yeah i think was it was it white works or white box that you said was white be box White box. Rubbish pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Um, that, to me, would be probably the solution. Because if you go back to data scientists, middle-aged men called John, if you could amend that uh, or, or tailor its search slightly differently, that, that could be the solution to that. Because I think what you will start seeing, especially from a recruiting perspective, is everyone will just start doing absolutely rubbish CVs with the keywords... I think I've, I've seen it before where all the keywords are just in, they're in white at the bottom of a CV that makes a CV like 16 pages just to make sure that it's in white. So obviously it doesn't look as if it's, it looks like, like it's a two page CV, but it's got 14 pages of keywords. So you'll probably end up um, uncovering that unless you, I guess, unless, unless you can maybe tailor it slightly differently. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess, keyword yeah. is kind of a bit dumb, right? It's a bit like, like the way LinkedIn works out what your relevance is for a uh, a role based upon these little keywords that have been up, upvoted by certain people, but it's kind, of, it's kind of a bullshit way because it depends how you write your LinkedIn profile or your CV if we're talking about a different screening program, whereas really what you're interested in is you know, what's going inside the person's head, which generally can be shown through some kind of test, whether it be a psychometric test or a, you know, if you're a data engineer, then uh, some form of engineering test. And it's that kind of information that's actually important or you know soft skills how do you test for soft skills so you know you have wonderfully bright people who are maybe have fantastic written words but they're actually really hard to work with and they're not good within teams so there's a load of other kind of things we have to find answers to um and you know reading a linkedin profile cv isn't isn't always the the best way and when we're looking at stuff like diversity um and i just mean across all people like you know we have to be mindful that 
computers don't have all the answers, but they have a great application in certain places. And having this kind of white box um, approach allows us to at least understand where the flaws are and to start to, to look into those. Um, yeah, because I think that would be the solution. You've got humans working with some fantastic technology to kind of make it all work with whatever rights for each each individual company. Um, that, to me, would definitely be the solution, uh, and it would also keep me in a job. So, <laughs> um, well, being biased wherever possible, that's what's important, isn't it? You know I mean? Yeah. That's where tests are nice because they're, they're more binary, but then there's also the part that sits like... Um, yeah, there's a human. There's also a human element for just you know how how do you feel when you speak to somebody? How do you think they'll fit into the team? You know, are they motivating? Are they compelling? Are they, you know trustworthy? There's a load of stuff that's going to take machines a lot longer to uh, work out than we can do. So we're having interviews for a while yet. I think. Yeah, I, I think that that's part of what what I do is on the call. I'm trying to figure out actually. I know my client really really well. Does this person fit? The manager does it fit the ethos, the philosophy, and my interviewing background in the police helps with with that. Um, but interrogating people. <laughs> someone said that to me in a, in a meeting last week. I was like, well, it's not interrogation. It's just it's calling out bullshit. If if someone yeah. bullshit you, I think that that's kind of more what it is because that unfortunately does happen. And and that's the thing where people will always find a way to ride the system. So it's kind of getting that happy happy median. Um, on, I, I guess going a bit further. With brand, I think brand is the other thing which people need to kind of consider when, you, when you're using this approach because it's all good and well having the technology to do this, but if you're not getting the people to come to the business, you're not going to have any people to be able to, to kind of uh, interview. So I, I guess from LinkedIn perspective, you can go through LinkedIn and you can do all of that, but there's still, I think it's like 20 or 30% of candidates are not on LinkedIn and, and still have just CVs. So I, I guess it's how do companies... I, I guess the answer is I might be answering it for you, but I guess branding would be the only way to get the candidates to come direct to the company so they can actually apply the, the technology behind it. Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn isn't at least yet any kind of monopoly like you, you say, and there's lots of other, other routes. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of ways to advertise roles and the appeal of a company has to be, um, is obviously key in that. But in terms of, Recruitment generally, um, you know, companies obviously have to be cognizant that they have to attract the best talent. But I think that's always been the case. Um, you know, I'm sure before the days of the internet, I used to, I, I actually, I kind of remember, I used to look at newspapers for, for jobs and stuff like that. And, you know, it's a, it's a similar thing that you have to stand out in some way or another. But um, I think the important thing really for, you know, recruit, recruitment is that you don't get disintermediated by, um, by by technology, and for that to happen, you have to differentiate yourself somehow. Um, that's the same yeah. for any company at the moment with technology. How do you stand out with everyone else? So if we all optimize our businesses perfectly and we all create the most perfect streamlined uh, business, then where can you put the extra effort that kind of makes you stand out against your competition? Yeah, I guess the reason why I've discussed that a bit further as well is sometimes naivety in in companies where they think that they can attract the people from Amazon, Facebook, Google, 
yet they don't really have a brand or they're not really known on the market for, for whatever. They might have only been around for four or five years. They might be doing some really, really cool stuff, but no one actually has a clue who they are, what they're doing. So I think that's the other area which which will be um, which will be quite interesting moving forward. Um, I guess guess moving on to, to deep learning. Um, I'm not sure if this is deep learning, but it's something which I found quite interesting. I, I bought a house in, in January, I think I, I told you that. And when I was saving, I've, I'm, I'm hooked up to um, a credit scoring um, product and I got to a certain amount and it could see that I was putting a certain amount into savings each month because it was all hooked up. And then it started kind of giving me mortgages. It started presenting mortgages. I think I, it was maybe predicting that that's what I was saving for. And yeah. I was, and I was saving for that. And that's exactly what I did. And I, I actually went with one of the mortgages because it was the best rate. Um, is, is, is that deep learning or is, it, or is that more kind of predictive analytics or it's kind of probably, like? Yeah, it's probably either some kind of, yeah, predictive analytics, maybe AI. I mean, so what it'll be looking at there is you've done, a, by the sounds of it, you've done a few things which are probably uh, fairly consistent for people in that position. So you've signed up to a credit reference agency, you're looking at your credit, um, frequently, um, you're saving some money, and you know this. That's exactly the kind of thing that um, you look for when you're building AI um, programs. You're looking for people that look like you who have done the same thing. So, um, yeah, it was probably that, or you've got a you know a kid on the way or something, <laughs> or you want to buy a new car. So they, those kind of things are really easy, um, predictable, and when you, um, I mean. When you're in one of those companies um, and you see those things happen enough time, you kind of know what people are doing. And there are ways you can improve it. So, you know, you, you see what the conversion when they, sh they show kind of mortgage offers, et cetera. If you start clicking on those and they're like, hey, this, this person is definitely doing this thing. So you get that, that confirmation that uh, reinforces it. So, yeah, that's definitely some form of data science. I wouldn't like to say which, what it is. It's unlikely to be uh, machine learning or deep learning but there's definitely some algorithm there that's saying hey you fit this profile so start to uh spam them with mortgages <laughs> i just thought it was really cool because I, I needed yeah. it anyway and i just thought brilliant okay that saves me a job and they gave me a really i mean a really low rate mortgage which was perfect and obviously it's a way for them to make additional money referring me to uh, my mortgage provider um cool okay so, so daniel we talked about machine learning ai we talked about data um what would your advice be to people who are maybe looking to get into this area um, in terms of training, uh, in terms of, I guess, routes into to data, um, sort of machine learning AI, especially if you haven't got, say, a mathematics degree or a computer science degree? Obviously, that the math degree might be the best or, or better routes um, in, in, into it, but just kind of talk me through, I guess somebody like me, I've, I don't have a degree. I've got a basic level of understanding of data what training courses would you have for me then maybe someone who is a bit more advanced maybe in pro a product manager who wants to get into this space but not kind of um, doesn't have the background yeah i mean in terms of in terms of training unless you're really looking to do the kind of programming yourself and you know to learn how to program in python or r there's, there's not that many kind of generalist um courses because in a way you're kind of not learning a skill you're learning and understanding of technology so there's some what well, i recommended some good books um i mean and there's there's so much online you can read as well but um for if, if you want a more of a technical understanding um and you don't need any knowledge of machine learning or python there's a really good book called introduction 
introduction to um, machine learning with Python that I'd recommend. Um, it breaks it down really simply and it's really good for beginners um, and you don't need to be technical. I can't write in Python. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's, um, yeah, there's also another book called um, Machine Learning for Absolute Beginners, which is a less technical guide that is um, really good, easy to read, or as easy as a book on machine learning. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you want a book on uh, data, I'd recommend How to Profit from a World of Big Data, Analytics, and the Internet of Things. Um, that's that's a really cool book. Um, most books these days that are about data kind of blur into machine learning anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, most if you're working with machine learning, you're probably either a developer or engineer who's you know, in which case you need to do the right courses or at least, um, you know, play around and read the right books um, to learn. Or if, if you're a less technical person, which I definitely am, um, and you work in product or strategy and just want an understanding of it, then, uh, yeah, books, podcasts, um, yeah, or just reading online, keeping up to date is really um, enough because you don't have to understand how to code it. You need to understand the possibilities and potential of it. Absolutely. So basically listen to this podcast. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot, lot more you could learn, but yeah. <laughs> Great okay. stuff. I could bore anyone for a long time about it. <laughs> <laughs> or just, just to kind of re-go over the books for, for the listeners in case you didn't get them when we're going, going uh, when Daniel was going through this introduction to machine learning and Python. Um, machine learning for absolute beginners, which will be probably what I would um start with and then how to profit from a world of big data and analytics analytics and iot wasn't it yeah yeah uh, yeah that's more of a, a data book which is more leading to where we started but yeah you know, if you get your data right then you can start to move into the other 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 bits anyway Great stuff. Okay, thank, thanks a lot, Daniel. That's really um, insightful. Um, I've got a, a, a couple of final questions for you. Um, less kind of data focused, more just on advice to, again, just like going further on to advice to other kind of product people. Um, so what would your, you've got, you got somebody who wants to progress or either into a, a senior management role or a, a head of product role or, or whatever, they've been doing product for a couple of years. What would your best career advice be to, to that person? And just as a second point, what would your career advice be or what, what would your advice be to somebody who's looking to become a product manager? Because this is an, a question which I get asked a lot, especially the latter. Um, so just kind of talk me through what, what you would advise them as an expert in your field. Um, so let's start with the product manager first. That's probably yeah. the easiest thing. So the, the the best, in my mind anyway, the the best way is to get experience some somehow. So um, there are a lot of product management jobs these days, as you uh, know better than most. Um, but there's also a lot of people that want to be product managers. So generally, um, there's a couple of things I would do. I would do some form of course. So you know, it could be Scrum Alliance, Scrum Org course on product ownerships so you understand how scrum and agile works because most teams these days use you know agile methodologies or, or, or safe depending on what, where you're working so you understand actually the theoretical approach of how you do you do things i'd also start to really think about how you use apps and websites and what good experience looks like because design and uh, ux is really fundamental in, in what we do um and yeah, read all you can around kind of um, good 
techniques for kind of building products instead in terms of using data and prioritization. Um, in terms of how you, how you get your first role, you I mean, you're probably better off uh, in some ways <laughs> telling me that, but ways that I've certainly um, tried to help people in the past are things like, um, you know, letting people shadow people. So if you have the privilege of working in a big company with product teams, so um, ask to shadow um people or ask for a secondment that kind of thing and in fact how i got into uh, product for the first time is i um, kind of persuaded my boss when someone left that i would help out uh, on a temporary basis and then kind of dug my heels in and <laughs> wouldn't leave um but you know i guess look look for those opportunities and if you're if you if you're really struggling then i guess reach out on kind of linkedin on some of the product networks and um see if anyone um will kind of be willing to to uh, work, work with you and get you some exposure. There's lots of good product meetup groups and stuff where you can kind of network as well. But um, yeah, it's, it's just getting, you know, it's like anything, it's just getting a, a, a foot in the door, but be passionate about products, have a good understanding of what a good product looks like and, um, you know, read up on on product management and product ownership and, and what it really means. Um, Cause that will, that will set you in good stead. And then um, I think it, sorry, sorry, Dan, just to interject. I think that is some incredible advice uh, and how you got into you persuaded your boss to kind of sh let you have a go, uh, yeah. you know, just sort of shadow, and you kind of <laughs> saw an opportunity and seized it because the the common trend I'm getting. I mean, there's so many different routes as we both know into getting into products. You can do it via sales route. So hypothetically speaking. I could probably go work for a, a software sale, a company as a salesman and then progress into a product role. And I, it, it's something which did cross my mind a number of years ago, in, in all honesty. I, I kind of looked into it and, and opted to go to, to what my true passion was. Um, but you can be a software engineer. You can kind of work in, be a data scientist and go into products. There's so many different routes, marketing and going to products. But I think the key fundamental, what you mentioned, was you see, saw an opportunity, you seized it, or you would have created your own routine regardless whether it was through your boss or whether it was actually connecting with people on linkedin because my advice to people is one find a company who who has a product team um, you might not get a job as a product manager straight away you've got to start from the bottom sometimes you've got to do things for free sometimes you have to connect with a thousand people you might get no answers then connect with another thousand people you still might not go answers but eventually you will get that one answer and in essence that's kind of what you're saying there is you saw an opportunity you seized it and you would have made it work regardless. And I think that, to me, yeah. is some brilliant advice, especially to the younger people um, in the 20s like me who want to get into something. Um, it's kind of just do the work. Yeah, you're making me feel old, Ash. <laughs> Sorry. Even older. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely, definitely true. So the, the job I actually started working products was at T-Mobile when that was still a thing, which, again, makes me feel old. But, um, <laughs> I, 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 I remember that at least. Good, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they, they were based up my road at the time and uh, I was working for a different firm and I must have applied for, I don't know, 10 jobs there. Just whenever there was a job, I'd just apply for it regardless of whether I had any capabilities. And um, I got a job there as a uh, train, training manager or head of training, I can't remember what it was. And uh, anyway, that, that's where I started. And then when I was working in that team, they also looked after product and I was like, that's, that's where I want to be and that's where that came from. So... Yeah, you know, it's the age-old story of uh, just, yeah, kind of being annoying and tapping on a door until it opens. Um, but yeah, you know, you've got you've got to make most of these opportunities when they arise. It, and it's it, unfortunately that it seems to have been lost a little bit um, in in I guess I don't say my generation because I am thirty in six months. Um, but it, it seems, <laughs> but I think there's a. a 
I don't want to go into entitlement and stuff like that, but I think that people often nowadays kind of want things maybe handed to them a bit more rather than actually going and, and doing it. And, th- and that's not everyone, but it's just a generalist thing. When I'm approached by company, or by sorry, by people, it seems to be like, well, can you not just get me a job in product management? Well, you've got zero experience. My clients hiring me to hire, working with me to get them experienced people. What my advice to you is this. Um, but sometimes people just don't want to kind of go go and do it. So I, I, just, I just think it's brilliant advice. And I'm, I'm really happy you've kind of pointed it out because no one's pointed it out um, so far on, on, on the podcast show, podcast that we've done. I look forward to my award. <laughs> best career advice award I'll, I'll give you that one um so you're gonna you're gonna carry on daniel before i uh rudely interjected yeah, no, you're cool uh yeah no you were just saying i guess about the more senior roles I, I, look, it's along the same lines really you wait till you have the domain knowledge once you really understand what making products is about and the facets of it and really you know, it's customer centricity, um, understanding data, understanding how people use um, different various products, whatever um, products you're designing. And then it comes down, for me, it really comes down to, to confidence and where you want to go with your career. I mean, you know, almost the more senior you get in roles, the less you're doing kind of what what you love for some people. I mean, I love building products. I love delivering products. But um you know as you move up to head of director of products you're generally more and more managing people and process um and thankfully i i enjoy those those pieces too and um i enjoy the strategy and the, the bits that come with that so um you know the most important thing is again it, it's experience and taking advantage of the opportunities when, when they arise but for you to do yourself justice you have to kind of have done at least some of the groundwork first so I, I approach everything in the same way you um you, you do you kind of you do the work you understand the business and you should know when the kind of the time is right and then you take a chance and you know you might have to apply for many jobs over many years before someone has the same faith in you that that you do but it's like anything you have to you have to give it a try and if you don't put yourself out there then um no one's very rarely is it going to be is it going to be given to you so um i don't you know there's no kind of book you can read that will tell you how to get into a role and some people find it far easier than others they can be in the right company at the right time but generally speaking you know it's like anything you you have to approach your work in the right way and the right frame of mind work collaborative with people um you know un- understand what you're meant to be doing be as skilled as you can and um yeah, you give, give yourself the best chance of the opportunity and put yourself forward. I guess aligned to both of our interests, it's like doing sort of reps and sets in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> the more you do, the better you're going to get and maybe the luckier you'll get uh, in, in some respects. Because I think the more you're, you, the more you apply for jobs, the more you put yourself out there, eventually the luckier you're going to get. And, and from a weight training perspective, the, the, the stronger you get, the fitter you get and, and the, the sharper you get. And you will create those opportunities to, to kind of progress. Yeah, I mean, it's not, and then it's not luck, is it? It's yeah. Let's see, it's belief, because um, you know you can do these things, right? I, it's rare I'm going to try something that I don't know that I can do or I don't think I can do. Generally, I'll build up to something and work in a way that I'm pretty confident I'm, I'm going to do it, and occasionally you get a surprise. But, um, yeah, it's, pre- it's preparation. Yeah, the, the reason why I said luck is because most people look at you and, think oh he's, he or she's well lucky and generally yeah. it's, it's because we've done the work <laughs> yeah yeah I think, um, there is luck for sure lucky things happen people win the lottery but 
you know, they still bought a ticket. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. Um, great stuff. And last question then, Daniel, and you've, you've been great so far, especially on that last point, the, the persuading and your, your boss point was brilliant. Um, your top tip for interviewing for a product person. Product person. Um, yeah, I, I want to understand, well, I, top tip. I've got lots. There's or just, or, or just, your, your, just one tip, two tips, best tip, whatever, whatever you think is, is relevant to, to your audience. The, the things I'm always interested to find out is how they would prioritize um, you know, features and, and things you want to build um, because that will tell you, you a lot about them. Um, I want to understand what they think about usability and, and design and the importance of, of that because um, I always find it fundamental and I also want to understand their knowledge of ways of working especially depending on where I'm working and what what's being done so you know if you're using scrum or kanban what do they really understand about that what is how hands-on are they um you know like I think product management is it, it's a it's a career I certainly treat it as, as a career and too often companies kind of will make a, a, a BA or um you know someone from no product experience, they'll make them a, a product manager or a product owner. And it's not to say those people can't be product managers or product owners, but you have to understand the discipline. You have to look at things from the customer perspective. So um, for me, it's really understanding where the person's coming from and what they really understand about building you know, brilliant products. What I, what I am really passionate about is building products that, that customers love and that develop, deliver real value to both the customer and the business that I'm working with or for. Um, so it's, in, I guess, ensuring they those people share the same um, kind of view of the world as that. Um, and you also, the other thing I always like is if people are willing to challenge you as well, because um, life's pretty boring if people just... <laughs> <laughs> But that's, I mean, it's good to hear because, I mean, you're, you're a director of, of product, Daniel, and some, some senior people don't like to be challenged. They like to have the yes, but that, in my opinion, that doesn't, it's, it's yeah, I, I'm, I'm someone who challenges people and I, and I will always kind of do that. And I, I want to be challenged because sometimes we're not always right. And sometimes I've things are wrong many times. Yeah. And <laughs> sometimes <laughs> things can be better. Um, but I guess if, if, if you're listening to this and you're going to interview with Daniel, make sure that you look at prioritizing features, usability design and ways of working and, and make sure that you actually are somebody who, who's happy to voice their opinion and, and not, it doesn't do it as a, agree with everything I say yeah yeah <laughs> um but at least if someone's got if someone's got some insight into into interviewing you in the future that that, that would be my advice to, to anyone is kind of everything Daniel said prep that and deliver that that interview and, and you'll get some success anyway um that, Daniel you've been fantastic thank you so much for your time today um it's been really really insightful really enjoyed the conversation and uh yeah I, I appreciate your time today